Well, I feel after those two beautiful talks that I have your captive attention, so I think I'll just go on. Um, like Gyandev, I was uh, asking myself, glowing health and vitality, who is that? And my mind instantly went to our line of gurus, and in particular, as you perhaps might imagine, to Babaji. I mean, he's the ever youthful, he's in the same body, he's immortal for all practical purposes. We don't know how long he'll be in that body, but he's, he's with us in spirit and also in that body somewhere. So I was considering that state and the picture we have of him, I mean, basically Babaji is our poster child for radiant health and vitality, that's, that's what I determined. But you don't see any pictures of Babaji pumping iron. You don't see any pictures of Babaji running marathons or even downing green smoothies graced with flaxseed, uh, antioxidants, and supplements. And I don't in any way mean to knock these beautiful speeches about what we need to do about being ready physically and mentally and in terms of diet. I think that's the most beautiful talk on diet I've, I've ever heard. Uh, Diksha said she didn't want to talk about diet, but thank Divine Mother that she did, because uh, just very compelling, very pure, nothing there of judgment, just sound good and inspiring advice. But I was thinking, you know, again, of Babaji and just what, beyond the physical realm, Master says in his poem, Samadhi, beyond the limits of the mortal frame, and as disciples, we really need to, if not already, begin to seriously think in those terms. And Babaji, what we know of him, he's in communion with God. He's in cosmic consciousness. He's in the consciousness of immortality. And this is what Yogananda said is supremely important, that we start to enter in and exist more in the consciousness of immortality beyond the limits of the mortal frame. We are on this planet. Everything about it is mortal. It's coming and going before our very eyes and experience. We're in this school of life which is mortal. We are in these bodies which are immortal. <coughs> but we are here amidst this mortality to learn immortality, to learn to live despite what is going on in the consciousness of immortality. Yogananda, when he came to this country, he healed many people. And as you know, Diksha was saying, not even by doing anything outwardly obvious to anyone else or even to the person involved. But many times were the miracles. And most of those people at, those, at that time in those early days, they were healed and they left. There is nothing there of curiosity seriously about the spiritual path, what to speak of wanting to put out the energy and the effort to embrace it. And so once healed, there was just nothing else to hold them in that aura any longer, and they left. And in a very short amount of time, Yogananda decided, in line with the traditions of India and really the orientation of health and healing in India, to heal people of the ignorance of the soul. And this is what he dedicated his life to. All of the teachings, everything that's been talked about this week, that's been talked about today, it's about healing us from that delusion of mortality, 
It's about bringing our consciousness into the knowing that we are made in the image of God, into the knowing that we are immortal, irregardless of what is happening to us or, you know, with this body at any point in time. And he dedicated his life to that in so many, many techniques we have been given in this regard to support that. And I wanted to just highlight a few from, again, this wonderful booklet. It's full of techniques and practical advice, and most of them really are in sync and already a part of what we're doing. It's not that we have to reach to things that we've never before heard of or don't feel in tune with. It's all there. And so much of what is living in that consciousness of immortality is really everything that the devotee does, everything that the path of discipleship is. <coughs> the first of these that drew my attention, he spoke of super-relaxation. And this is really what we're trying to realize in meditation, through the yoga, through the pranayama, through the diet, preparing, making holy this bodily temple for God-realization. But it is in meditation, ultimately, that we really can relax. Because as Jyotish was uh, sharing with us in the class on Monday, it's through the process of meditation, ultimately, that that energy is completely withdrawn from matter, from body consciousness, drawn into the spine, drawn up to the brain. And it's in that state that the realization comes that, yes, we are immortal. Yes, there is a life beyond this body. Yes, there is a reality beyond this body, even while I'm living in it, even while I'm experiencing its relative mortality. There is this consciousness that it is possible. And any of you who have meditated, any of you, I'm certain that to a certain degree, if not greatly, you've experienced this. Yogananda tells a wonderful story, a man who, in this booklet, so it'll be familiar to many of you, of a man who was diagnosed with diabetes, and he was given three months to live. And he decided firmly, in his heart and soul, I am going to do whatever I can in this time to find God, to know God. And he wasn't a meditator. He didn't remember his incarnations as yogis, as a yogi. But he started to meditate just about 15 minutes, and he did that every day. And as he could, as his body started to relax and calm down, he started to meditate more, and a little more, and a little more. And three months went by, and he was still in that same body. And he kept at it, and he meditated more, began to be hours a day. It began to be the greater part of his day. A year went by. A couple of years went by. And one day, as he was in meditation in this state of ecstasy, God came to him. And he, as he came from that high state, he, he looked at his body and he realized that he was totally well. He was totally healed. And he said, God, why did you heal me? I didn't ask you to heal me. And God said to him, wherever my light is, there can be no darkness. And there it was, that, that consciousness immersed in oneness with the divine. And 
being in that vibration, for him, you know, he had the karma, he had the blessing to be healed in that body. Does it always mean we will be healed? No, it's not that simple. But it's an important part of being well, it's an important part of being vital, physically, mentally, spiritually, to hold that consciousness of immortality and understand that by connecting in with it, connecting in with it as deeply as we can in any moment is what helps to bring about and nurture that state. Yogananda talked about vibratory healing. He talked about the environment of sound within which we live. He said, living in urban areas can easily take 10 years off the life of an average individual. Everyone doesn't have the opportunity to live in a rural environment. I've lived most of my life in an urban one, so there you are. But we have the opportunity wherever we live to be aware of sound and the sounds we are listening to, the sounds that we are letting come into our being consciously, usually unconsciously, but we can determine that diet of sound. You know, if you can fill your environment with the chanting of Om when you have the privacy or the companionship to do right companionship to do that. If you can fill it with mantra, with Gayatri, Mahamitranjaya mantra, these mantras of enlightenment, of liberation. If you can frequent sounds like that, they're very healing to the nervous system, very calming to the nervous system. You know, we think of uh, the energy coming into us. Dhyanamata, she said, I consider myself a storage battery for my guru's vibrations. She was receiving and holding a holding pattern for the vibration of her guru, which is the Om. You know, the masters, they exude that vibration, their expressions, reflections of that vibration, just as we are. And to hold that consciousness of sound of the Om, wherever we are, to hear it in the trees, to hear it, you know, I'll be out in the garden and working away and being distracted perhaps in my work, and I'll just hear the leaves rattling and shaking and that divine breeze flows through and it's Divine Mother, and to just try to be more conscious of that, what we're listening to, what we're taking in. Master said in Om, nothing can touch you. I know what that means. I know many of you know what that means. I know you've had that experience as I have. You didn't, it doesn't mean we're going to live a long life, necessarily. It doesn't mean that we're going to skate through without disease or physical discomfort. It doesn't mean that we're not going to experience pain. But what it does mean is that, irregardless of what's happening, we're not going to lose that thread of connectedness with Divine Mother. I felt that. And when things happen to us, when things happen to others, those words ring so true. Nothing, nothing can touch you when you're in that vibration. And what are we after? I mean, is it glowing health outwardly? Is it vitality outwardly? 
That's such a little thing. Who really cares? Ultimately. But what we are after and what does concern us is when I need it, when I really need it, when I am pushed against the wall with whatever of mortality in this world, where is my consciousness going to be? Where is it going to be? And we have to rehearse that and live that as much as we can all of the time while we have the bodies, the ability, the mental wakefulness to do just that. Yogananda, he would say, burn the boat and walk on the sea. <laughs> An incredibly meaningful passage. Burn the boat and walk on the sea. Dare to have faith in the power that flows through Divine Mother into our lives. When he was visiting India, he tried so hard, you know, to, again, teaching people to re help cooperate in that process, removing the ignorance of the soul, and helping people to cultivate faith. You know, he was a personage, a being, who could, by his very presence, without saying anything, heal. But to what good is that to the devotee if there is not that knowledge and experience of receptivity and cooperation? And so he would only exercise it if God told him to do that. And when he was India, in India, there's so many stories, but this man came running to him and said, please, please, my wife is dying. I know if you come, you can heal her. And Yogananda said, I can't come just now. And again and again, the man pleaded with him, day after day. Yogananda gave him a list of things to do, said, do these things, and she will be well. And the man did them, and her condition changed. And she was well, but then her condition changed again, and the disease came back. And one day he came, this man, running to Yogananda, and he said, she is dying right now, she is dying. If you come, I know she will be spared. But God didn't tell Yogananda to go, and so he didn't go, and the woman died. And then... He felt God say to him, go now. And Yogananda went, and the family was there, and they were grieving, you know, understandably so. They were in tremendous pain and agony and at the loss of this dear one of theirs. And Yogananda went over to her side, as God told him to do, and he sat down, and he put his forefinger at the spiritual eye, his other hand at her heart chakra, and he just blessed her and sent through him self, God's energy, healing energy. And a few minutes went by and her feet and her body started to shake and then she came to. She was resurrected. But Yogananda said that he wanted to make sure this man understood it wasn't him as a personality, as a great healer that was making this happen. It was God. And it was God because Yogananda's faith was in him as he was asking this man to place his faith in God for the healing of his wife. I remember when I first, uh, early on when I came to Ananda, I had been here just a few years, and we had a 
biodynamic gardening conference to which a number of people came. It was a month-long program. And there was this young woman in her early 20s. And she, one day after, maybe a week into the program, really nice gal, and she had a seizure, an epileptic seizure. And I wasn't with her, one of the other participants was, and it was really quite a frightening experience for her who was having it and for the people around her. And I really wanted to help her. And to me, it's just what made sense, it's what came naturally. I just thought, I'm going to ask Swami to help her. I know he can heal her. And so I got word to Swamiji. I told him about what happened and would he please help her, would he please make her well. And some days went by and I was out by the road pruning in the orchard and Swamiji and some people drove by and the car paused and I went over and I excitedly gave him my message again and he said, I can't, there's nothing I can do, I can't help her. And I, it just wasn't what I was expecting to hear. And I was, it really caught me off guard. And I thanked him. I said goodbye to everybody. And I really had to go inside to deal with that. Because on a certain level, I knew he was capable of helping. But I was giving, being given the opportunity, the lesson, to understand the importance of receptivity, the importance of the faith, of the individual. You know, this isn't a mechanical thing where you just go to somebody, even an alternative person, even a healer, and I know many of them, and you don't just go to them like you go to a doctor and expect it in some kind of pill form. With them, you expect them to touch you or say the word, but it's the same consciousness. You're still going and looking for something outside the self. And so I needed to understand that. Burn the boat and walk on the sea, and to learn to develop that more deeply in my own life as well. Yana Mata, she one time uh, fell, a, a great disciple of Yogananda, she tripped on the stairs, she broke her finger. Yogananda said to her, you should go to the doctor, get x-rays. And she said, you're my only doctor. <laughs> and she had the power of deep faith, and knowing that you know, she was alive, because yoga of the Yogananda, he tells us that. He pleaded with the Vine Mother to keep her in the body for the good that she could do for others. So she said to him, you are my only doctor. And that night she had a dream, and her finger was pulled straight and reset. And when she awoke in the morning, it was all healed. And Yogananda said to her, you better go to the doctor and get x-rays <laughs> so that your family knows you're legitimately well. There's nothing you know, at all wrong there. All of us have seen so many times, either seen or read, Swamiji uses examples, so many from his own life, just countless times in which he has been healed. And... It's very interesting to explore that. It's, it's very powerful because he never prays for himself. He didn't pray that his cancer go away when he had it. He didn't pray 
you know, the tumor. He didn't pray that his hip grow new bone so he wouldn't have to get a replacement. He didn't pray that his kidney stones dissolve so that he would feel better. He didn't pray that his eyes be clear so that he could see. I mean, all he's had all manner of, of illnesses and disabilities in regards to health. But he's never prayed for himself. And what he has shared with us is that he prays to Divine Mother in the consciousness of a child, of a servant. You know, this is your life through me. That's all it is. If there's some way that I can help by being here, by doing this program, by giving this class, I'll do it. It's not a passive consciousness. It's very powerful. It's very willful. It's very one-pointed. It's very determined. It's not like he's saying, I don't care about health. I don't care about vitality. I don't care about diet or my body. He's just putting it in the context of Divine Mother and laying it at her feet. And if you want this through this body, I am willing. I will be able. I will do it. I will do it as best as I can. I will do it joyfully. But you are in charge. Completely different and very refreshing orientation. There's one last aspect and, that I would just like to address. And it's an aspect that you might not think of in terms of healing. Yogananda addresses it very briefly in, in the booklet. But it's that of giving and living a life in which we are giving everything we possibly can. Because it is the giving open heart. You know, it's like an open spigot. And the energy just keeps flowing. And what, once we stop giving, we've turned <coughs> off. You know, we've turned off that knob and nothing can get through. Giving is about seeing life, seeing others, beyond just ourself, living in a reality that's bigger than just us, bigger than just you and me, bigger than Ananda. I had an amazing experience, uh, I think it was around, it was the early 90s, and one of my nephews, I have a lot of nieces and nephews, and one of them was uh, battling leukemia and had been battling it for four years. At this time, he was 11 years old. They discovered it when it was seven. He had had it for some time, evidently, before that. And he'd been in and out of hospitals. He'd been in and out of remission with this disease. And now it was getting to be the very end. And so I went there to spend a couple of weeks to stay there and as long as needed and to help out my sister and her family. They had been part of this for years. They needed to keep working. They needed the income. They couldn't be away from work. And so I was able to just be there every day at the hospital. And Russell, little Russell, spent most of his time sleeping. And I would sit there. I couldn't meditate all the time. He was sleeping a lot. I would meditate as much as I could. I'd read something of Masters. And one day he woke up quite suddenly from his sleep, and he said, what are you doing? <laughs> I said, I'm just sitting here. He says, no, what are you doing? 
He said, I'm meditating. He said, what are you, what's that? What are you doing? He said, I'm praying. He says, what are you praying for? I said, well, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your family, your brothers, your sister. I'm praying for myself. I'm praying that if there's any way I can help you, that'll be made known to me. And then I said, Russell, how would you like, you know, is there someone that you would like to write a letter to? Is there someone who you know who needs, is in need of something, anything? Someone you'd just like to write a, a friendly letter to? And he perked up and he said, yes, there is someone. One of my friends is having a really hard time. And so he wrote this letter. I, I went down to the gift store. Uh, I got some cards. He picked out one that he really, really liked and got excited about. And he wrote this letter. I don't. I probably only ever shared it once or twice at the most. And uh, it took me a while to find it since our move. Everything is, I mean, it was four years ago, but <laughs> I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's a challenge trying to find things still. And uh, he wrote this letter uh, to his friend, Brian, and I wanted to share it with you because uh, he was an individual who just, irregardless of what the body was doing, he was vital, and he was conscious, and he was so giving in his nature. And it says, <clears throat> Dear Brian, that's the name of his friend, how are you doing? I'm all right in the hospital, but a little sleepy. I know that you worry about me some. But don't worry too much, because I'm all right. Also, if it will help you feel better, you can come see me if you have time. It wasn't easy for him to say that. When I die, if I do soon, don't worry, because I'll be somewhere equal special in heaven, and sooner than I know, it, you will be up in heaven with me, because a thousand years on earth is a minute in heaven. I know you'll worry, and you'll miss me when I'm gone, but just accept it, like you did with your uncle. My mom will give you something of mine, so you can remember me always, so don't worry too much. Love, Russell. Very, very sweet and of a consciousness that, again, just irregardless of what is happening, is in the right place, in the consciousness of immortality, the consciousness of spirit, of loving God, and giving that love in God to others. I wanted to just close with an exercise that Yogananda gives us. And it's about relaxing in the OM, the super relaxation that I spoke of earlier. So please sit upright. I'm going to adjust this a little bit because it goes on a little longer. And uh, so I'm going to abbreviate it a little. And with eyes closed, expel the breath quickly and keep the breath out. Counting mentally one to ten. Inhale slowly. Hold the breath counting one to ten. Repeat this once more. 
then expel the breath and forget it. Concentrate on the toes of the left foot and say OM mentally on each toe. Do the same to the toes on the right foot. Then concentrate on the sole of the left foot and then the right foot saying OM. Concentrate on the left and right calves mentally saying OM. Do the same with the left and right thighs, left and right hips, navel, abdomen, liver, spleen.